7654321. Welcome back. Good evening, everybody. My name is Adam Wilkins, and you're listening to Souls and Shotguns, the weird fiction and horror podcast. Sorry for keeping you waiting. I did not plan that big of a delay. Well, there are a few reasons for that. First, we had the Christmas season, so yeah, that's kind of a given. But later on, I had quite a lot of university-related work, and to add to that, I got sick, and I had to take some antibiotics, which sucks. But fortunately, I am all well now, and I am able to record some more podcasts for you guys. Now, if you would like to leave some feedback, questions or suggestions, you can go to the Facebook page of Swords and Shotguns, or you can leave an email at swords.shotguns at gmail.com. Now, in the meantime, I did do some stuff. I played uh, the open beta for For Honor, the game that recently came out, and, um, well, it has some problems. I do like the core of the game, if you don't know. It's basically sort of not really historical fighting game, where you take a role of a viking, a samurai, or a knight, and basically tear each other apart. The dual mode is really good, but what really sucks is um, all the gear upgrades that you can basically buy with microtransactions, and also the fact that the servers... Well, there are none. Uh, All connections are done peer-to-peer, which means that if a certain player that happens to be the host has a really crappy connection, all the rest is probably screwed. And it's also makes it very easy to hack the game and use cheats, so it's... Until they resolve that, I think asking for a full price is a little too much. Other than that, I'm probably getting myself Resident Evil 7. I've heard only good things about this game. It looks amazing. I've seen some Let's Plays, I've seen some... uh, I've played the demo, and it is really atmospheric, and I like that they don't really seem to rely much on jump scares, because even if you go to Resident Evil 1, um, it did have some of these, and it seems that this time they're going full-on atmosphere, you know, this kind of sense of dread, this sort of... Um, also adding a little bit of um, of te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre into the mix, it has a lot of that vibe into it. Uh, with this uh, kind of abandoned house and creepy family and whatnot, so definitely something to look into. I also uh, started watching some Jidaigeki movies, which is basically Japanese historical drama. Um, Think Samurais, basically, and feudal Japan, and uh, adventures, politics, uh, tragedy. Basically, it's a very complex subgenre of of cinema that can... um, adapt any sort of story to itself and and for instance there's this movie by Kurosawa that's basically a feudal Japan version of Macbeth which is amazing but there's also some more light-hearted stuff so basically if you like samurai you you should look into this genre i mean it's um, a lot of these movies move rather slow and it's not something like a modern day hollywood blockbuster where there's action all the time. Sometimes you will have to sit through one and a half hours to really get into the action, but 
it's it's it has its own pacing and atmosphere that really works and if you give it a shot i think you won't be disappointed Now, today we are looking at Robert E. Howard, and I when I was thinking about what exactly I would like to start with this author, I thought that maybe a very brief introduction would be good. Uh, something that someone who is not really familiar with his works um, could basically understand the major themes, what to expect, and why basically you should devote some of your time to his writing, because I believe that um, he's often overlooked. You know, fantasy in general is not really looked upon as a very um, complex genre of literature. I mean, it's changing already, and you can see something like Tolkien research at universities, but still, pulp fiction, not so much. You have to dig a little bit deeper to really find some information on that. So I'm basically going to provide a very brief introduction so that you can see if this is your cup of tea. But before we get into that, we have another great band to listen to, which is Witchthroat Serpent, another one of the sort of stoner, doom, psychedelic uh, bands that some people are describing as basically electric wizard worship, but I think that they bring to the table something of their own. The production value is kind of more clear, uh, all the instruments are very much audible and the vocals are kind of on the forefront. Uh, they are not kind of muddy and buried behind this wall of guitars is very much in the front so you can actually listen to the lyrics and it has this great vibe to it of uh, sort of uh, retro 70s uh, horror movies with occult themes and it's just a treat so before we get into robert e. howard's writing here is witchthroat serpent
Now, there are two approaches to any sort of writer that we can take. First, we could look at uh, the life of the author and analyze the works through that, or we can just take the works as they are and uh, just analyze them on themselves. And I tend to kind of lean more towards the second option. So I'm not really going to focus too much on Howard's biography. I think that there's better sources for that and you can find them quite easily. If any information is necessary, I will provide it. When talking about Howard's writing, we can basically divide it into two categories. First, we have this sort of, uh, let's say, umbrella term fantasy. So we have Conan there. We have horror stories there. And I would also say that all the historical fantasy sort of adventures fit into this category as well. So we have Bran, the King of Picts, um, who is um, so similar to many of other fantasy characters of Howard that I think that putting him next to the rest is fitting. Because the other category that we have is sports stories, believe it or not. A huge chunk of Howard's writing is boxing stories. To a lot of people, fantasy is sort of uh, escapism. And this term wouldn't really fit with Robert E. Howard. Now, if you look at any photographs of him, he looks like kind of a sturdy gentleman. And, well, he took on horse riding, uh, archery, boxing. Um, he was basically a renaissance man. And with that, he was kind of the polar opposite of his good friend, H.P. Lovecraft, who was kind of afraid of life. He was more leaning towards... Um, the mind to exploring um, human psyche rather than physicality. And it can be seen in works of both authors. Howard, born at the very beginning of the 20th century in Texas, basically had all reasons to be physical with all the soaring landscapes around him and the general atmosphere of the place, basically fitting for a very adventurous uh, boy to, to start and explore and kind of share with the rest of the world his adventurous nature. Although many of the themes that I'm going to discuss that are apparent in uh, fantasy stories of Howard also appear in the boxing stories, I wouldn't really suggest them as the beginning point for anybody to start the journey with Howard or Pulp Fiction in general. If you are familiar with uh, the Chromecast, which is a really good podcast that's dedicated mostly to Howard's work, recently they started a season dedicated solely for boxing stories. And one of the guests there basically brought up this point that people might not really be interested in these stories because they just don't know this particular trend in literature. They don't know any sports stories that, to, that that might interest them, and that usually we are interested in the fantasy, in the realm of the unknown, of the supernatural, and that's why we are leaning towards that. And to that, I would actually even add more. There is no apparent continuation of boxing or any sports subgenre in today's landscape of literature. If you go to any bookstore, the best-selling books or, you know, young adult, most of it is influenced by fantasy. And it's kind of natural for people to gravitate towards what seems most familiar to them and something that they already know they are interested in. 
If you clicked on this episode, chances are you're more interested in fantasy works and horror works rather than, you know, stories depicting boxes overcoming some great odds or whatever. And I'm not trying to take away from these, because some of these works are just as great, if not better, than Howard's um, fantasy stories. But it's no wonder people didn't really get into them. We have also to remember that they are not as widely available as Conan or Cull stories. If we look at this kind of subculture of uh, Howard fans, we have scholars uh, dedicated to fantasy works, to Conan, to Cole, to Bran, um, Solomon Kane, or whatever. And it's already a very small circle, kind of um, homogenic in, in, in a sense. And inside that, we have an even smaller circle dedicated to the sports stories. So I think it, some time must pass before people start to rediscover these particular tales. But as I've said, the hero of Howard is not that different whichever side of his um, creative works we look at. It is very often an outcast that does not really belong to the community they find themselves in. Now, it's very apparent with Cole of Atlantis. It's a character from some barbaric primal tribe put in the position of a king of a highly civilized race. And despite the fact that most people do not trust this character, they overcome the odds. They prove themselves to be even more worthy than the rest. Which brings us to another very important theme of civilization versus barbarism. And it's very clear that Howard is not fond of civilization and the foundations it is laid upon. If you look at the very beginning of the Conan movie from 1981 with Arnold Schwarzenegger, there is a quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. Even though the movie doesn't have that much to do with its source material, it is extremely fitting to literally Conan, or literally Cole, in that matter. This Nietzschean idea of civilization being rotten at its core, and in dire need of being rebuilt on completely new values, is very much visible with, uh, with Cole. If we look at the story by this Axi rule, at the end of it, basically Cole destroys, physically destroys the physical representation of laws of the country he is governing, of, the, of this empire, and states that I am the law. If Cole or Conan or Bran have any experiences with forces that are primitive or primal in nature. They act more as nature itself. There is nothing inherently evil about them. What is evil, however, is people scheming behind the back of their ruler or trying to take over. This is also very interesting if you look at contemporary fantasy. The realms of Howard are usually rather low magic, and with that I don't mean that there is no magic at all. It's that it's very weird and refined and not really casting fireballs at will. To add to that, not many people know how to use magic, and it's there's no one coherent system to follow. Magic takes the form of treachery and and um, and illusion more than actual offensive um, casting spells. But regardless, it is the domain of highly civilized people, 
Civilizations are rotten at the core and are the reason why people suffer. What is more, Howard and his stories makes it clear that civilizations are built not to last but to crumble and fall violently. If we accept the fact that Cole of Atlantis and Conan of Sumeria come from the same universe, it is basically stated that Picts that we see, that the Pictish tribes that we see as deformed and weak tribes in Conan are the offspring of the Pictish empire that we see in Coal of Atlantis. So it's basically hinted at that this once mighty and civilized empire is bound to devolve into a mere shadow of itself. And with the idea of these empires also comes the idea of alternative history. It's never stated clearly, but it is hinted at that this is the same Earth uh, from our universe. In instances like um, Call of Atlantis meeting Bran, who is the king of Picts, uh, the Picts uh, from the area of today's Scotland in the British Isles, which further fuels the imagination of the reader of what actually is happening, and if this happened or not. And what also fuels these thoughts is naming of certain empires and, and countries in this sort of realm, like Atlantis, for instance, which is supposedly uh, existed in, in the ancient times. Now, a very important feature of Howard's stories is the fact that there isn't really one constant narrative. All the stories are scattered around and there isn't really any official timeline. If you pick up Conan today, chances are you will find just Howard's writing. But it wasn't always the case. Conan being the most popular character of Howard has had countless pastiches written, which is basically stories of Conan written by other authors with mixed results. Some even tried to fill in the gaps between stories to write a full, uh, coherent um, plot. I think this is completely missing the point. For me, Howard's stories, and Conan's stories in specific, are kind of like campfire stories. Imagine a situation where a group of travelers um, would be going through a forest and they decide to take a rest for the night. And one of the people say, you know, tell us the story how Conan became king. So one of the minstrels, for instance, decides to recite the tale. And then another says, no, that's not how it happened. Here's the real story. And this is where Howard's stories shine. Some of them contradict themselves. Some of them don't really fit into any specific timeline. And you can fill in the gaps yourself. And I find it a much more appealing way of reading Conan than filling the gaps with poorly written stories of how Conan goes into a cave and finds his sword. Bottom line is, read the stories in whatever order you want them to. Sometimes you will see the characters with the friends still alive, sometimes they will be dead, sometimes they will be uh, taking completely different, um, different jobs, especially Conan. Sometimes he'll be a pirate, sometimes he'll be a king. Now, if you are also interested in the life of the author himself, you will find a lot of interesting information regarding Howard and Lovecraft. They were pen pals, basically, for quite some time, 
and you can find the letters collected in book form um, from a variety of publishing houses, I believe. Some of the names, characters, or ideas, uh, if you read these letters, um, you can find that they, they basically inspired each other. And for instance, uh, the gods of Balsagoth, which comes from uh, Howard's writing. Well, even if you hear the name Balsagoth, it would go very well with Cthulhu Mythos. Other than that, uh, I would highly recommend going to the Robert E. Howard Foundation, where there's a lot of information on both fiction and Robert E. Howard himself. There's also the biography of Robert E. Howard, there's letters, and um, there's countless editions of his works. Just remember that if you are browsing through old paperbacks, chances are you will find a lot of pastiches. So you basically have to make up your own mind if you want to read it historically as it happened, basically with all this gap filling uh, that happened after his death, or do you just want a, a sort of pure um, orthodox edition of just Howard stories, which are really easy to find today, uh, and sometimes they even have added some sketches or rough drafts of unfinished stories, especially with some of the older Howard creations like Cole, which didn't really have a lot of published uh, material. You will find a lot of unfinished stories. So if you dive into Howard, you will find more and more stuff like that. My opinion, start with Conan. It's the easiest character to get into, has the most of finished, uh, easy-to-digest material. Then you can go to other creations and just basically start on your own. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed this concise introduction to Howard's writing. If you would like to um, suggest a topic for the next episode, you can do it on our Facebook page or at swords.shotguns at gmail.com. If you would like to have your music featured on the show, you can contact us the same way. Now, hopefully the next episode you won't have to wait for, for that long, and I'll make sure that it won't happen again. So, thank you once again for listening, and until next time, I was your host, Adam Wilkins, and you've been listening to Swords and Shotguns.